I'm kind of wondering if Tinder is kind of fostering and breeding uh, a kind of sex addiction in the sense that uh, if people get kind of this high or like a, a serotonin kind of pop from either matching or hooking up or the chase kind of, but then ultimately are not finding anything rewarding in the long term, you know? You could have something casual and still have some humanity behind it. Like, I don't think that I'm going to meet my future partner online, but I can have a really nice date and, like, we can both get our rocks off. Like, I don't know why I need to be either, like, treating each other like cum dumpsters or, or like, we're going to get married and there's no in between, you know? I think the culture of polyamory and you know, openness and sexuality and stuff like that is very good. We're getting a lot of away from our Puritan kind of like, you know, sexual values and stuff like that. And I think that's good. But, but at the same time, it's even harder for me to see relationships that last. Everybody wants sex. When people think about dating apps, they typically think about sex. Yeah, I like how the... Um description of this episode in our notes is in this episode we talk about doing it we sure do (laughs) we sure do that's kind of how things started apps came up as sort of these ways to meet people to hook up with and then we ruined it by throwing relationships (laughs) into it now we've got all these emotions and complex things that go on there's still a, a large population out there that uses dating apps just for sex there's a large population looking for relationships. There's a large population looking for everything in between. This episode, we're just going to focus on the physical part of things. And we'll kind of kick it off talking about just looking for a hookup. Looking for something casual, something fun, all these other like descriptors that you see as you're swiping through people. Have you ever used dating apps just to, just to get it on? Uh, (laughs) No, actually, I haven't. But I think one of the most important things to remember is that on a dating app, you are responsible for communicating what you're looking for. If you're looking for a hookup, just say it. No one's going to fault you for it because we're all here to find things that we want. And we have to respect what other people want as well. So while I have not used it specifically for that purpose, there are new apps that are made specifically for that. Field, I think, is one of them. Although it's kind of starting to... Oh, we're ruining that one too? <laughs> no! Yeah. Stop looking for relationships on sex apps. Well, I, th- I think what's happening is people are using their Tinder and Bumble and Hinge or, you know, the, the profiles where you can write your own description. They are using that and just cutting and pasting it into field, Mm. which I think is not completely appropriate because field is made to get you what you want. They ask specific questions about what your desires are and what you're looking for and what your interests are. And it's meant to be, you know, a physical kind of thing. When you have just like a witty joke or it it looks just like your, your Bumble profile, people don't really know what you're looking for. So I think whatever app you're using, there's there's lots of people who are on Bumble, which is notorious for being a relationship app, that are just looking for hookups. And they say that. And I think that's great. I think the more you communicate about what you are looking for, uh, honestly, the more respectful you're being to both yourself and, and you know whoever you're going to end up meeting. Agreed, yeah. It doesn't really serve you well to set yourself up as somebody looking for a relationship when you're just looking to hook up. Because then the person that you're meeting is in that headspace of, okay, I'm going to get to know this person. We're going to take things slow. You can't really just spring it on them that, hey, let's go back to your place. Also, (laughs) this is all I wanted out of this. (laughs) It's just, it's unfair to both of you because like the person you're on the date with has been duped into this situation. And then you're not with a person that's totally in it with you. So it just kind of makes sense to, to put it all on front street and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Somebody's going to respond. Or not. No, they will. <laughs> they absolutely will. Because there's other people looking for that. 
right? Mm-hmm. And there's folks that you will be attracted to and be able to have, you know, small talk with before you, you know, get down and dirty. And, and that's, that's great. So here's the thing about misrepresenting yourself. And I think we've talked about this multiple times because I think it applies in so many of the components of what we've talked about. You know, you value your own time. And so you have to value other people's time. So I think being honest about what you're looking for is imperative in, in you know, respecting both your time and someone else's. If somebody wants to hook up with you and you are open about that, you both are going to have a great time. And it'll be very consensual, which is important. And we can't stress that enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if you're just looking, yeah, if you're just looking for a hookup and you meet someone who's looking for a relationship and then you, you know, you get very forward and handsy, maybe they're not ready for that. It makes them uncomfortable. There's some element of you being dishonest and it tarnishes your character and the impression that you're making on another person. And this is, you know, this is a podcast about online dating, but any town at some point becomes a small town and people talk. And what if you know that person in some other way? And, you know, and what if you come across that person in, in some professional context, you never know. (laughs) So I think it's always important to kind of err on the side of being honest and open and being okay with what you're looking for and, okay with what people are also looking for and not looking for. Now, people do sort of take this to the extreme and you get into situations where you're just looking for sex mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just becomes this revolving door of of partners. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then you kind of have to reconcile that part of your life with this person that you are like starting a relationship with eventually. So when you say reconcile that part of your life with someone you're trying to have a relationship with are you talking about disclosing that information yes okay because people have different views about the past of another person logically it doesn't make sense i know i I see the face um (laughs) but there's this kind of like we talked about in the last episode with baggage it's this stuff that you bring with you and if what you're bringing with you is 50 dudes the person that you're with or women or women (laughs) the the person that you're with has to reconcile that well this person has a lot more experience than me is this person thinking about those people when she's with me or he's with me there's nothing you can do about it with the person that you're dating right it's all how they reconcile it how they're able to deal with it you are going to be surprised by what i have to say about that do you disagree (laughs) one of my friends recently told me that uh i am surprisingly puritanical about some things but I think in this case I don't think that matters I've never asked somebody how many people they've been with I ask detailed questions about relationship history because that information is very useful to me in terms of who they are as a person how they react in situations you know breakups will tell you a lot about somebody how someone talks about their ex mm, tells you a lot about somebody. But how many people they've slept with or, you know, what kinds of physical encounters they've had, I've never been concerned with that. Because in my mind, that doesn't tell me how they are in relationships necessarily. But you're able to segment those. There's a relationship part of you. There's a physical part of you. So here's how I think about it personally. I've sort of analyzed this and broken it down in my head um, over the years. And I think there is a physical aspect of relationship. There has to be physical compatibility. If it's there, and before I continue, I'll say being, you know, drug and disease free is very important to me. So that's already established. There has to be physical compatibility. You can pretty much gauge that within the first couple of dates, right? Obviously, whether you're attracted to someone or not, and once you get intimate, if it works for you, right? That stuff can also evolve and change. And I think sometimes we're more willing to accommodate our partner's physical and sexual needs more so than we are their emotional needs. So for me, the emotional end of things matters more in terms of me kind of weeding out people who I don't see a future with. And that's why I ask about relationship history rather than sexual history. Because if you're someone who knows what you like and, and, you know, what you need physically out of a relationship, as an adult, you should be able to manage that 
in your 30s. You know, we're not 21 and, you know, what's that? <laughs> like, I think once you've kind of been, you know, dating for a while or in relationships for a while or even married, the physical stuff is still very important, but it's something that people can, at least something that I can communicate about, you know, pretty openly. But, you know, I'm a big communicator, so maybe other people can't. It might just be a privacy thing that I just respect. Maybe because I don't want to share that information. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is. I'm just following the sexual golden rule here. <laughs> so does it would you say it really doesn't matter or that you don't want to know? I think that's a really broad question. <laughs> because if they told me things that were very strange or unusual or you know, there, there's there's a multitude of things that they could say about their sexual history. Uh, certainly those things would affect my impression of them, especially early on. In general, I think in your 30s, you assume that people have a pretty strong sexual history, even if it is in just a handful of long-term relationships, right? You can get the most, you know, adventurous and, and you can be very interesting sexually in a long-term relationship, right? I think when... I become intimate with somebody, I take what I learn from them and I just take that at face value because that's where they're at at that point. And I don't really think too much about the history behind it because I think sex evolves very quickly and I think it is so partner dependent. The longevity of an emotional issue is much more significant to me. Yeah, that makes does sense. That, does that like make it sense? Does. It you does, know? yeah. So... That's kind of where I am at with that, which is interesting because usually you're the more liberal yeah, <laughs> person well, in this conversation. Online dating completely changed my perspective on this. I grew up in a very, not like particularly religious, but like a churchy kind of background. Mm-hmm. Conservative, and, yeah. Yeah, more conservative. And personally always had the thought that sex was for married people. Mm-hmm. That if you were getting physical with somebody, like either you were spending the rest of your life with them or at least were considering it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of missed out on like a lot of stuff in, in college, you know, the party scene and the dating scene and all that, and like jumped right into marriage with a woman who wasn't very experienced and I wasn't very experienced and so it worked out really well. And then was in a relationship with somebody who was a little more experienced and had a lot of problems like sort of dealing with that where I'm like well I've had sex with maybe four people in my life Mm -hmm. you've had a lot more (laughs) (laughs) and so like online dating kind of changed that perspective in me where it was looking at sex as more of a like a like a basic human need as opposed to this big emotional commitment and I think it was being able to separate that and kind of minimize it for all intents and purposes, like take it off the pedestal, not make sex like the ultimate relationship goal. And here it is, we've arrived. And now we're like, our (laughs) bodies are one spirit Mm -hmm. and we're burning together kind of thing. It was just more of like, yeah, you've got one of those and I've got one of these and they feel really good when we put them together. (laughs) And now, I mean, I love talking about sex and people's experiences and histories and all that stuff like tell me like what good experiences you've had so I can like try to top those tell me what bad experiences you've had so I can laugh with you (laughs) and make sure like I don't try that too and it's fun I mean when you get into a place with somebody that you're able to talk openly about something so intimate there's so much more material you have to share you can joke about it it's just something that the they're not sharing with everybody else. They've chosen to share with you, whether it's intimate details about experiences or just the fact that like, hey, I've had sex with other people. I feel like learning someone in an intimate way is like opening a present. It could be a really bad present. You could hate it, but it could be the thing that you never knew you needed. <laughs> that is true. That so is true. I think, I, think I, I don't ask about the history because it's exciting to just approach that with kind of no expectations, but also knowing that there's a world of possibility there. But haven't you ever like been with a guy who is so mind-blowingly good? You're like, who taught you? Who showed you that? No. Really? I mean, no to the second part of that question. Okay. All right. (laughs) Because I'm very future-oriented. So I focus more on what's in front of me and in front of us and what we have together and what we share and how it can grow. I don't know if for me it is productive or healthy to think about who he was with before and how he learned this trick 
and you know this and that because it doesn't matter does it really change the outcome it kind of tarnishes everything right if someone is really good and you know the intimacy is wonderful and the sex is great and you don't need the origin story for everything (laughs) you just you don't need that you don't need that information because at whatever point in your life that you know you've reached good intimacy is always great Mm -hmm. and I welcome it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. But my point is that like you're ruining something by thinking too much about it. If he was with X amount of girls before and you know, I think, wow, some other woman probably did all this work so that I could benefit, whether it's physically or emotionally or whatever. But this is where we are. I've done plenty of work in relationships that I'm sure other women have benefited from. And that's fine. I'm just a little bit salty about that. Not too much, but every one of us is. When we find this, you know, unicorn man who, you know, is all set up for whatever kind of relationship you want, you don't question it. (laughs) You just say, you know, come on in, unicorn. (laughs) And thank you. And thank you. Yeah, I guess that is one advantage of dating later in life as opposed to earlier in life is people come with their own set of like specialized skills that they've learned from people because it does kind of suck to like figure out that you like a new thing there's a lot of awkwardness there's a lot of hesitation and getting out of your comfort zone and you're like oh no that works for me Mm -hmm. thanks dude yeah and they've got that in your arsenal i think the more open you are to the hidden joys of intimacy the better off you'll be i think you know the great thing about sex and physical intimacy is that it evolves and grows with your relationship So you can have a pretty boring sex life at the very beginning. Maybe you're cultivating something emotional. And then you'll start focusing more on the physical element. And then that will grow. And I think the stronger your emotional bond, the better the sex will be. I have a very high bar for what I would consider. Oh my God, that's so weird. It's usually, oh, you're into that. Tell me. What, what what piece of it is interesting for you? And if you like X, you know, if, if I don't know, if somebody says, I'm into exhibitionism. I'm like, okay, well, is it maybe being caught or do you want to be in a room of strangers like, consenting to watch this or what's the piece of it or would a two-way mirror do it for you or would a hotel window be like I try to get specific just because I think it's fun and interesting. Sometimes I'll do four, five, six, 12-hour days in a row. There are some days I just want to blow off some steam. I just want to go out and have a couple drinks and have hot sex. And a lot of them are up front with it. They're cool with it. But then the feelings get involved. Mind-blowing sex is something that... I feel like it's difficult to find without a very strong emotional bond underneath. I agree 100%. So you're not going to get that, you know, out of a hookup. I think you got to set the bar pretty low for hookup sex. It might feel good physically for X amount of time, but it's never going to be the sex that you have with someone who you love deeply Mm -hmm. or who you want to love deeply. And a lot of times hookup sex is drunken or on it's messy. drugs and it's so you don't remember messy. it and no. then there's the, the next morning and you're all frazzled and you don't remember her name and the morning is bad <sighs> it's rough listen if you don't wake up next to someone and say where are we going to brunch you should just be home <laughs> you know it's just because it, oh god i think we're too old for that morning after stuff just go home yeah, we said we weren't going to offer too many like hard and fast rules. I know. That's one of them. That is one of offer them. Offer brunch. I think it's always better to just wait. Wait a couple of dates. It doesn't mean that you can't be intimate in any way, but just give yourself a little bit of time to develop something because you want the sex to be good. The more you know someone, the more you like them, the better it's going to be. There's an ageism thing to that, though. Is this like a millennial thing? No, but I think that... <laughs> If you had apps in your early 20s oh, and you God. weren't in a relationship and it was just like, here's a bunch of guys that I could have sex with tonight, how different that time in your life would have been. For me, I mean, had I had the confidence I have now, dating apps was single and had like sort of the general outlook on life I have, I'd have been a hoe. <laughs> and I acknowledge that and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but now in my 30s, being in, in that same situation, but with 10 years of experience behind me, I 
completely understand what you're saying that the emotional bond weirdly strengthens the physical bond oh yeah being able to look somebody in the eyes while you guys are like in bed together mm-hmm. being able to have a conversation afterwards and laugh about something or not talk and be totally comfortable well, i could not talk to a hookup yeah but it's awkward <laughs> no a handshake is worse than a blowjob because a handshake is more formal and it's like i don't know blowjob is just like you do the deed and you go in my 20s i was in sort of back-to-back long-term relationships there was a lot of love. There was a lot of intimacy. There was a lot of good stuff. I was not interested in the hookups at that time. I think, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've just always been this, like, serial monogamist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not to say that I haven't dabbled here and there, but what I've learned in the last 10 or 15 years of dating, I think what I've learned in that time is that the more meaningful something is, the better it will feel across the board. I thought I was a hopeless romantic, and then I met you, and I was like, "Oh, I have nothing." But I'm, girl. but I'm a total cynic, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's this, it's a beautiful balance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a nice little tightrope I walk. I've always had these very loving relationships, basically my whole life. I mean, I met my childhood sweetheart when we were seven. I can't really do the meaningless thing. I don't know. I I mean, I can. Everybody can. Physically, you're capable. But that feeling of emptiness that you get after doing something that you don't do wholeheartedly, that's the feeling I get after something that doesn't mean anything to me. It feels like a crime against myself. That's all. I'd agree with that. It typically takes me a good week to recover from... (laughs) <laughs> because it's I think people have obviously varying opinions on sex and intimacy and what it means away from you know various religious beliefs and cultural beliefs and all of that I mean just if you isolate it and you compare almost in a scientific way how it feels with and without an emotional connection I'm going to hold out and go for the thing that feels better you also have the sort of mental fortitude to do so though there are people out there that need sex it validates them it makes them feel wanted they're just working through some shit sure is that really the healthiest way to validate yourself? oh no absolutely not like, i'm not saying that they're <laughs> in the right but like i mean they're out there you're gonna encounter people on dating oh, of apps course there's all types of people out there yeah that are just looking for that yeah. do you think there's a way of like catching those people should somebody looking for a relationship look at somebody who's looking for a hookup and say, I'm going to make her or him mine? No. No. Don't even bother. <laughs> I'd agree. Because here's the thing. I will say, if you are a woman looking for a man, if a man is so self-aware that he's able to say, I'm only looking for a hookup, for the love of God, believe him. Because self-awareness is not something that's easily come by. Right? Across all genders. Mm-hmm. Across all preferences. If somebody tells you what they're looking for, believe them. Don't try to be a hero and swoop in there and say, I'm the one that's going to change him. You cannot change another person. You can only change yourself. And this happens on both sides of the, the gender aisle. But Absolutely. it seems to be more of a female problem. It seems to be more women falling in love with guys that aren't looking for a relationship than the other way around. You know, there are exceptions, but I got something to say about that. Do it. Do it. <laughs> if you're a woman that tells a man, even via text, that you're not looking for something serious, you know, even prior to meeting him, it is my experience that they either don't believe you because society has trained them to believe that women are incapable of that, or they just ignore it and they just continue to bombard you with messages, both of which have happened to me and on field actually so I've not met anyone off of field because I'm on hiatus but because it's a new app I'm kind of just you know logging and looking around and so there's a messaging limitation on that app I haven't reached that point but I created a kick account to communicate with people and I didn't realize I was doing this but basically I had my own little social experiment where I said you know here's my kick ID please only message me there if we match you want to know what happened next? Were people messaging you even if they didn't match? Absolutely. Oh, man. 
Absolutely. Which so, works really well with Instagram because then you get a follower, but on Kick, not so much. Listen, I'm not on the Instagram. I don't need any followers. I just need someone to understand what consent means. And so I was getting, you know, a lot of these messages. And this specifically doesn't have much to do with, you know, looking for something casual. But the idea is when you're a woman and you say something and you mean it, people often don't believe you. So I had to then add to that message and say, I will absolutely not respond to you if you message me and we have not matched. I cannot believe that some of you do not understand basic consent. And then it kind of fell off a little bit. Okay. So people Um, listened. (laughs) For the most part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there was one guy who's actually, you know, he's a nice guy, but he messaged me shortly after I joined and you know, at that time I had a lot going on. I'd just gotten that job offer and this and that. And, you know, I'm in, in the process of moving and everything. And he said, you know, let me know if you ever want to hang out. And I said, I will let you know. You want to know what happened next? What? <laughs> he messaged me every single day for like two weeks. Oh, no. And at first I was, you know, responding initially. And eventually I just stopped responding. I had said very openly In the very beginning, I am not looking to be responsible for anyone else's emotions right now. And if you're messaging me every single day, you are burdening me with validating you. And let me tell you that the Fs I give about that are negligible. (laughs) You know? I mean, if you're not... Like, I'm telling you, I'm in a headspace where I'm focusing on myself. I haven't even met anyone off this app. And I say that. And I'm not giving you a date or a time or anything tangible that you can use. I'm saying I will let you know if I would like to see you in person at some point in my life. And you just message me every day. Every day. Did you have any intention of responding to this guy? Well, I don't now. Well, had he not messaged you every day, (laughs) was this somebody that you were going to respond to, though? I don't know. I had a lot going on. That's the thing is... I feel like whoever you are, however you identify, whoever you love, whoever you're attracted to, you got to give them the same respect that you give yourself. If you tell someone that you want to meet up at a later date and you will let them know, and if you think that's okay, if they say that to you back, it should be just fine. Mm -hmm. And you should respect that. You gotta establish some dating golden rules here. <laughs> I know we're not telling people what to do, but I'm gonna tell you what to do. <laughs> That's right. There's, there's at least some etiquette that needs to be yeah, observed. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I had started asking people when they matched with me, I would say, well, you know, did we, did we match? And then they would say no. And then I would say, well, looks like you can read. <laughs> so I'm wondering what went wrong there. <laughs> This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, you know, it seemed like he was interested. We were having a conversation, getting to know each other, and then it just all turned to sex. Well, have you been with a girl? Would you eat a girl's pussy for me so I can watch? And I told him, I said, I'm not looking for a hookup or a one-night stand. I said, please stop talking to me about sex. I want to get to know you, and if that's not something that you want, then feel free to unmatch me and move on. And he was like, okay. So the conversation turned for like two back and forth exchanges of messages. And then it was right back to sex again. So let's say you're on this date with this person that you've met online and things are going really well. There's a lot of chemistry. You guys have more in common in person than you thought you did just in texting. And he or she is really cute and it seems like they're into you. And then things move on to maybe a second date and a third date. And at some point in there, you guys are back at yours or their apartment. And the lights turn low. Smooth jazz comes on. Wow, you're really sad in the Wine gets open. (laughs) And it sucks. (laughs) Like, it's just so bad. You know while you're doing it, you want to be somewhere else. And there's like a weird smell coming from somewhere. Oh, really getting detailed. And huh? she does like a weird thing with her mouth. And it's just, okay. it's bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stay tuned for my next podcast. Where Pray I just tell, tell what is your point? Sex yeah. stories. <laughs> what does that do for the outlook of a relationship? What role does sex play in compatibility? It is 
everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. So here's the thing. So earlier I said that it's something that you can sort of gauge and establish pretty early on and that, you know, it will evolve and it's something that you can change and, and, you know, you can work on together and all of that is true, but that initial interaction has to be compatible because that's where you guys are starting from. I would say it is ill-advised to date someone who you're not compatible with sexually because building a relationship is already very challenging. And to build physical intimacy requires a great deal of communication. It requires you to be respectful in both giving and receiving criticism. That's a challenge for people who have been married 10 years, right? So if you're just starting out, That spark is kind of what gets you through those initial challenges in the emotional element of the relationship. The sex really carries a relationship in the first few stages until you build an emotional and mental foundation, you know, a lifestyle foundation, until you really become partners. Sex is kind of the thing that provides that intimacy. So it has to be something that's good and the better it is in the beginning you're off to a good start yeah you're off to a great start (laughs) so really you think that sex is more important than some of the other stuff like like family history or job or personality type so we're talking about online dating Mm -hmm. you got to remember a few things Mm -hmm. anything that's found on a on a resume or a cv You're going to know that stuff about someone before you go out with them, before you choose to go out with them. If you're someone who has a graduate degree, you only want to date someone with a graduate degree, you're going to make sure that that's the case. You're going to weed out people who are incompatible with you in certain elements of your life. Smokers, non-smokers, people who drink, people who don't drink. There are folks who will say, I don't drink, but I don't care if you do. There are people who say, I don't drink, and I really don't want you to, especially, you know, some religious groups, right? I think online dating allows us to find out more about a person's lifestyle earlier. I think online dating allows us to find out more about someone's lifestyle than we would had we just met them in person, right, through friends or at work or whatever. I think when you get to the point of being intimate with somebody, you're going to know a lot more than you would have if this was 1992. (laughs) You're, You're going to see their LinkedIn If you're me, you're going to have Googled them. So it's not that sex is more important. It's just that online dating is structured in a way such that those preferences come first automatically. So sex is more of just the biggest variable. Yes, it is a thing that you will not know about until you get there. There is a way to find out what kind of degree someone has, what kind of job they have. You can probably ballpark their salary if you want using the Googles. You can figure out a lot about them. You can ask them. Right? Do you come from a big family? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Are you drug and disease free? You can just ask these questions. Times have changed in that you're allowed to know these things before you go out with someone on a date. The thing you don't know is sexual compatibility. Right. And in our research, mm. we have the kids to thank for the sex interview. <laughs> It's this thing that people are doing now where before even spending the emotional energy and the time to get to know somebody and drudge through all that crap that makes us people, let's just bang it out. Literally. Let's see if this is going to work. Because if the sex sucks, then I don't want to proceed with getting to know you. And if it's awesome, cool. Second date, let's meet up for coffee or whatever you do after. (laughs) Fucking somebody. brunch but yeah it's kind of changing the landscape of things in the same way that like any other shift happens in in a culture where people are acknowledging that yes sex is hugely important no i'm not going to wait until we're married to have it with you but i want to know if we're compatible i want to know if this is going to be mind-blowing i want to know that three years down the line we have that huge fight that could break us up makeup sex is waiting for me right on the corner and that's worth fighting for The sex interview. How do you feel about this? I am actually a big fan of the idea of the sex interview because I think it promotes equality. And here's how. The way that men and women dress is quite different, right? Usually women wear more form-fitting clothing. You know what you're getting into, you know? You can ballpark that hip-to-waist ratio. You know what's going on. There's a lot you can tell about a woman's body by just what she's wearing, There's not much you can tell about a man. (laughs) 
<laughs> by the way that he dresses. That's kind of the first part of it is I think if you do a sex interview, you know what you're dealing with, right? And the thing is, there are some men who won't date women unless they have, you know, this cup size or this waist size or whatever, right? And I wonder why women have to wait. And they're encouraged to wait for as long as they can, right? But what if you end up with someone who can't please you? Are why you making th- a case for dick pics? Listen, <laughs> I am not. Because dick pics, as we've talked about, are always unwanted. <laughs> the picture is not the thing. I'm going to get a lot of crap for this, but it's not just about size or what it looks like. It's more about having access to something that men have had access to for a long time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it might be full on sex and intimacy. It might not be. Right. But to have a window into what you're getting involved in, I think is important as a woman because we are encouraged in, you know, many cultures to focus on just the emotional part of things or just someone's resume and, you know, these things that maybe don't satisfy us behind closed doors. And if we're able to do some version of a sex interview, we can combat that and advocate more for our satisfaction. If a woman is, you know, well endowed and has a great figure, you know that's going to feel good against you or when you touch her, right? You know that's going to feel good. When you're on a date with a guy, you don't know if he's going to feel good when he's against you or when he touches you. You don't know that. So to kind of even that playing field, the sex interview in whatever form you're comfortable with, it really advocates for that equality, which is, you know, wonderful. Having said that, I have not really done that. <laughs> I think you anticipated my next question. I, you know, but here's, but it's, but you know, it's you? fairly new. It's would fairly you? new. You know, I'm such a systematic, meticulous person that I have my own version of that. <laughs> is this something you're going you're to share with the podcast audience or is this the secret? Obviously, you won't know what something is until you've experienced it. But I look at things like body language. I focus on a lot of these sort of micro details because I'm big on not wasting my time. A sex interview is still time, you know, and it's still exposure to another person's body, right? So I would want to know personally, even before I get to a point of being intimate with somebody, which, you know, it's just my nature requires a little bit of time, right? Even if I were to have my own version of a sex interview, it would take, it would take a little bit of time. (laughs) So maybe it wouldn't be. I am very careful about looking at how someone behaves physically with me, even in early stages. You can tell a lot about how comfortable someone is physically with you in the way that they, you know, sit with you at a bar. Like my first date is always at a bar actually the, you know, the bar stools, because that will allow you to get much closer to that person. And if three hours into that date, you're not basically wound up in each other, go home. I mean, go home anyway, but like, you know, really go home. So there is, there, there's an element of that <laughs> yes. to what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there is, you know, sex interview, you know, light that you can do. And that's kind of, you know, why, why my first dates are so systematic. <laughs> I'm like a robot person. I don't know. <laughs> if I'm not getting that body language green light where their touch doesn't feel thrilling, I'm not going to continue with that. That tells you enough, right? If they're awkward in how they approach you physically two hours into a date where you've had two or three drinks, eh. So you are doing like a version of a sex interview, just not the whole thing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, what's important with sex and intimacy is always doing what you're comfortable with. So I am comfortable with this on a first date. This is my screening practice. If I don't feel like drawn to you, if I don't feel that magnetism, and if that's not demonstrated in these little ways in a situation that facilitates it, then there's not really much there. I told you about that sloucher, right? There's a guy who slouched so low in his seat 
Do you remember those commercials from the 90s where it was like, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs oh, or yeah. something like that? <laughs> there was time. one, yeah, yeah, there was one about, I think it was like a cartoon where someone was smoking pot and they were um, like melting into the couch. <laughs> Do you remember that? And he was like, it was like a <laughs> yeah. puddle on the couch. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. And it was such a turnoff. It was such a turnoff because here's the thing. If you like somebody, you're going to be sitting upright. You're going to be leaning into them. Your knees are going to be touching you know, you're going to be so physically close that the bartender doesn't want to come near you because they don't, you know, they, they're just going to be like, do you want more? <laughs> and walk away. You know, it's a thing that's obvious to other people. It's something that you should kind of look out for, I think. This is something that I'm sort of learning as things go on. And I don't think a lot of guys know about because I keep hearing about it from women that were, they're like, oh my God, our body language or I look for body language or I sense this at the table. I don't know if the guys are as tuned into that, mostly because we're dumb. But also, I think our brains just work differently. We're not conscious of the signals that we're sending as much as you're responding to them. But I don't think you have to. It's not a thing that you're conscious of. The great thing about body language and the reason that it's used in so many different ways, sometimes for and sometimes against people, is that it's something you're not conscious of. If you're sitting across from somebody and you know, you're sitting on bar stools and you're not across a large table. If you like them, you're going to get close to them. You have that freedom and you will. You might even reach over and give them a kiss, right? It's a situation that facilitates that initial intimacy. We have a very kind of uncomfortable relationship with sex in that we're not a conservative country necessarily. Um, where it's like, oh, you can talk about these things and people get people do get sex education and it is something people hear about. But we do still have a whole lot of kind of puritanical <laughs> taboos around it. And those 100% permeate into relationships, especially in heterosexual relationships, I think, with really gendered scripts of what's okay and what's not okay. So in terms of what roles... I think sex is a very important piece of a relationship. I do think um, it should continue to be throughout the relationship. I feel like we have a lot of weird messages about, oh, if you are this type of person, then it is okay to be sexual. And if you are this type of like, you're a mom, you're old, you have a disability, you have, you know, things that happen to at the scope of a marriage. Um, sometimes people feel like it's less okay for them to want what they wanted when they were 25 and able-bodied, right? So, and new parents, you know, that takes a total toll. And some people feel sometimes a little bad of, is it okay for me to want all these things when I'm a mom now? And I should have maybe more focus on other people instead of on myself. And... So it's kind of a complicated question. I don't know if it's too, people have too much or too little emphasis on it. I do think the main problem, though, is that people are keeping score. Like there's, I don't know, think about it. Like when, think about when you first started talking about uh, sex with your friends. You know, you're talking about who did what, how many times, for how long, who got off how many times, like, you know, who's keeping score, right? Those are the kind of metrics we use. I don't think those 100% stop in marriage either. If anything, a lot of husbands feel more performance anxiety because like, oh my, oh man, this is for life. Like, I really have to do well. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that the judgment of one's sexuality and sexual functioning, I would like to say it reduces with marriage, and sometimes it does. But people are sometimes really ashamed of things that they think are taboo and whatnot. So we've talked a lot about sex with somebody new. What about sex with somebody old? I don't want even in a relationship for long enough where the person you're with just isn't really doing it for you anymore. And you still love them. You still enjoy the time you spend together and your relationship's great. But like... There's that one part that just isn't doing it. And I think this is where online dating has its greatest strength right now, is the ability to step out of whatever relationship you're in and find somebody else that's willing to step into that. 
in a, in a consensual manner. Both parties are aware of what's going on. And you've got these relationships like ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, more classically known as swingers or couple swapping. You know, all these other terms that kind of stem from the same thing. You've got people that are in relationships looking to explore. Whether it be for dissatisfaction or this is just something they both really want to do or they're exploring things outside the relationship to see if they still want to stay in it. That whole world used to exist in clubs, sort of these underground groups that would get together and you had to kind of know somebody and they went to this place with shag carpet and dropped your keys in the fishbowl and (laughs) off you went. Now it's a little easier. There are apps like Field that openly let people address this but also, like, you see more people on Tinder and Bumble who have it out there that we're a couple looking for somebody, or I'm somebody looking for a couple and every, everything in between. Do you think this is going to kind of change relationships going forward? Do you think this is a good thing, a bad thing? Ethical non-monogamy. Let's start with the ethical part. <laughs> so, I think it's very healthy to be honest in your relationship and let potentially your life partner know that you need more than what they are responsible for providing. You can't expect one person to be your everything, right? You know, we have friends and, you know, family and colleagues and and we have wide social circles and everybody contributes a little bit to that need that we have socially, but not everybody can provide to that non-platonic need that we have or that sexual need. The thing I like about ethical non-monogamy is that there's consent. And so I think it's inherently more respectful. Do I think it's messy? 100%. Because human emotions are messy. Your ethics might rival, you know, the great philosophers, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be jealous as crap when you see your partner with somebody else. And you can't really control that. That's just part of who we are sometimes. So this idea of getting things from different people is great in theory, but it's so new that we don't really know if it ends well. You know, it's like a, it's like a new drug that just came to the market. We don't know if it's going to kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs> you know, we don't know. We don't have any long-term data about something like this. Intuitively, it doesn't feel like something that has a lot of longevity. If both partners are looking for sexual satisfaction outside of a relationship, I don't think that can last forever. Because eventually you'll find a bond that is stronger than that original bond. So there's always going to be some element of competition somewhere. And so it's going to be messy. And you're going to find someone who looks better or feels better or is better. And then what? Your primary partner is supposed to have some importance. You're supposed to be loyal to them in some almost sacred way, but it sounds like, you know, you're just kind of benching them until you find something better. I think I take the opposite approach on this. <laughs> and mostly because you use the word loyal and sacred in the same way to Ooh. describe a relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very classic way of looking at things. I think we're on the cusp of another sexual revolution. Like you said, the the evidence isn't quite there. The research isn't there. But it's being done. And it turns out that women may have a stronger desire to step outside the bounds of the relationship than men do. I believe that 100%. Classically, it's been one man, one woman in a relationship, in a marriage. And the man is almost expected at least accepted if he has a mistress or mm-hmm. a girlfriend or a work wife or whatever whatever that other manifests itself as. Whereas the wife was at home, she had exposure to the mailman and the milkman, which is where all of our mailman and milkman jokes come from. <laughs> but I mean, classically, you know, in that 1950s version of the American household, that's how things worked. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 60, 70 years, now we're in this place where there's much more equality. Workplace, home life, politics. I think it's all going to tie into 
sort of the focus on mental health, the focus on knowing yourself, the focus on wellness, and the focus on what relationships mean. I think all these things are going to converge, and we're going to find out that the traditional view of marriage works for a lot of people, but it should not be the ideal that we sort of put in front of us as like the, the, the relationship. I think people are more complex. And I didn't think this five, six months ago mm-hmm. before doing this podcast. And in talking to people and figuring out what relationships mean to people, where they're at, um, you know, everyone's got stories of friends that are in relationships that are polygamous, ethically non-monogamous. The ones that make it work are kind of like superheroes. Like, there's so much self-awareness that goes into there, so much self-confidence, so much communication, and so much of just knowing that your relationship is so rock-solid that it's not going to be impacted by something as seemingly serious as sharing a bed with somebody else. I think I have not seen it done, and that's probably why I'm so unsure of it haven't seen it done or haven't seen it succeed i don't actually know anyone who's in an ethically non-monogamous relationship i guess i know a bunch of squares (laughs) (laughs) and i did too and i like i've got friends that are in relationships i've talked to people my outlook on relationships has totally changed thinking of it from a human desire standpoint as Mm -hmm. opposed to a societal structure standpoint so I'm not even thinking about it in terms of societal structure, okay. right? I don't actually have any hangups with the family unit and this and that and a man and a woman. I mean, I don't really care about that. It's always easier to be the person who is out there meeting other people than it is to be the person who's maybe not doing that. And obviously, you know, if, if your partner is non-monogamous, you should also have the freedom <laughs> to be non-monogamous. Even if I was doing that and my partner was doing that, I'm just the type of person where I would feel jealous. Not because, oh, you know, someone is having sex with my partner, but somebody is sharing something with him that I'm not a part of. He is cultivating some kind of something with someone else. And for me, if I love someone and I want to share my life with them, I'm not looking to, you know, suffocate them and have, you know, I'm all for space. God knows I love living alone, but... The idea that someone else has that place in their heart, in whatever capacity, it just, oh my God, it kills me. I think I'm just a jealous person. Yeah. I just can't do it. And I, I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. How is it any different than them spending time at work and having relationships that are different from outside the relationship with friends and colleagues and having like a a different world there and then going out with like friends and having like guy time with so here's the thing it's not maybe i'm just a bad person i don't know (laughs) maybe i'm a double standard having jealous person i have very emotionally intimate relationships with my male friends and i have almost my whole life has that been a problem yes okay (laughs) yes and yeah, and that, that's not to say I don't have emotionally intimate relationships with women. I have more female friends than I have male friends, but the male friends that I do have, it is a very deep and platonic commitment. And so, absolutely, the men that I date, my former partners, have never reached that level of intimacy emotionally. It's complicated. But also those men, my my friends, you know, the ones who fly out for my, you know, graduations and, and ceremonies and they have never experienced a relationship with me. So there's something to both of those types of relationships, right? And so no, it is not totally different to go and have a work husband or a work wife or you know, your your childhood sweetheart, you know, going on, what, 20, 20 years or something, 25 years. But when you're engaging in ethical non-monogamy, that relationship that your partner is cultivating is going to mirror yours. So every relationship is unique. 
right? So my relationship with childhood friend A or, you know, person I met in college B, whatever it is, that's not the same as, you know, this guy that I meet in my 30s who I want to have a life with. Obviously, if I wanted to have a life with either of those guys, I would have, right? <laughs> you know, at this point. So the nature of the relationship is different. And I think that's where that jealousy comes from. I'm not frequently jealous of coworkers or friends or, or things like that because I have that in my life too. And I understand the complexity of those relationships and the simplicity of those relationships, right? There's boundaries. But if someone is basically getting girlfriend number two, you know, girlfriend light, that's going to mirror this relationship. What are you going to do with her that you're not doing with me? Why aren't you going to brunch with me? Is it that you prefer to go with her? I mean, it, it, it gets down to the nitty gritty of it. I think I'm just jealous. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, I mean, the majority of relationships are going to be monogamous, where it's one person with another and they do everything together. And You don't have to do everything together. That's the thing, you know. Rolled and die and do the whole thing. But... <laughs> I think that we're in a place right now where things are changing. I think that we're going to start hearing more stories of people, you know, picture yourself at a family gathering in 20 years and Aunt Cheryl comes over and you're like, hey, where's Uncle Walt? And she's like, oh, he's with his girlfriend. And it seems totally normal. 60 years ago, 70 years ago in this country, women didn't work like men work. They had to get married to have a family. And there were roles that people played and they stuck to those. And that's not the case anymore. You know, nobody has to get married anymore for financial reasons or cultural reasons or even to start a family. You don't have to be married. You can just have a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took my daughter to see um, Fiddler on the Roof a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and had to explain her what a dowry was <laughs> and forgot that it was like such a huge thing. It's still less a huge than 100 thing. years ago. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. In, in certain cultures, like it's still a big thing where it's like there's property involved. I mean, that to some extent, that's why there's so much paperwork involved in getting divorced. That's you take on property and then you have to set that property free. I mean, it's like really archaic. I just I think things are going to get challenged. Sometimes a lot of times women cheat it's because it's just physical in nature. You know, their husbands or you know, significant others let themselves go. They're not talking to them like they should. And a lot of women don't want to go out to a bar and roll the dice on meeting some stranger in a bar. So they like online dating. They like that sense that they can text people, they can call people. They can almost develop that pseudo-relationship before going further. I try to tell people immediately. Like, it says in my profile that I'm not monogamous. And I think that weeds a lot of people out. Like, people just want to swipe on me. Or I'm on OkCupid, and it's, like, very clear you can define your relationship styles. I don't know. There, it's it's not the initial meeting that people get weird about. It's like when you start dating and they actually are like, oh, like I like this person. Now I actually have to think about polyamory and if it's okay for me and it feels good. So it's like three days in. It's like <laughs> that it gets more messy than it does initially. People, I think, who aren't also polyamorous, um, don't think about it as something that they like really need to unpack and consider for themselves until they're with someone that they're like, oh, this might be tricky for me. And while you're out there checking out all the different kinds of sex you can have with all the different kinds of people, we're going to stress consent one more time because mm-hmm. we cannot say it enough. No. Which means no. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and safety. Safety is a huge thing. Um, I mean, we kind of learned our lesson with the first sexual revolution in the 60s, and then everyone started getting STDs and knocked up left and right, and then the 80s came along, and it was AIDS, and then we got the herpes and the chlamydia and the, oh, the gonorrhea herp. and yeah. all the... I'm sure there's some super bugs out there floating around. Use protection. Get tested. Often. A lot. How often would you say you should get tested? Uh, Let's say you're having sex like once a month. Pretty solid. With different different people, people. Different people. Are you using protection every time? Listen, I think if you're sexually active and, you know, non-monogamous, you should probably get 
you know, tested at a very, very, very minimum once a year. When you're doing your annual exam, you know, throw in an STD panel. If you're really going wild once every six months. But also, like, STD testing is to test whether or not you have a thing. There are certain things that once you get, you can't not have. So they're permanent. So be aware of that. So getting tested is not a preventative thing. You know, you can prevent having gonorrhea for an extra year (laughs) or, you know, having advanced syphilis or something like that. But getting tested isn't going to prevent you from getting HIV or, you know, herpes or these things that, you know, last for the rest of your life. You have to take preventative measures when you're actually in that moment, right? You know, use condoms. Communicate with your partner, ask them what they have and what when the last time they were tested was. And it's really important to think of your health first and foremost. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in that moment. But, you know, you could end up pregnant also. And then, then we get into, you know. Which is a terminal disease in <laughs> itself. You're stuck with Says that Says the father. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then, you know, politics are changing. Who knows if... You know, if you're comfortable with having an abortion or not having an abortion or, you know, adoption. I mean, these are things you carry with you for the rest of your life in one way or another. So sex is fun. feels really good. It can have serious consequences that are probably not worth that fun night. Mm -hmm. So be safe. And guys, the impetus is on you. Carry the condom. Carry the condom. Carry it. It's much easier in the winter and like the colder months because you can kind of stick it in your coat pocket. Just put it in your wallet. Does the wallet no good? I think the wallet thing got stigmatized. I, there, there was this. I, I seem to remember all these TV shows and movies from like early on, where a guy would get busted with like the ring on his wallet, where somebody would see it. And that say, is the oh. ring of responsibility, my friend. I say go with the coat pocket. Somewhere, somewhere it's not gonna like fall out. Somewhere you can keep it safe, but like it's not, you're not advertising, you know, sure. front, front pocket where it's just there. We're like, guess where <laughs> this is going? Yeah. But yeah, just have it with you. If you drove in the glove box, yeah. fine, whatever. Because you don't want to get into a situation where like you end up back at her place or your place and you're having a drink and then all of a sudden you're sneaking off toward the bedroom and she goes, Do you have a condom? And you say no. And then. Either she's going home or you're going to the convenience store. I think condoms should be like Kleenex. You can get one anywhere. Agreed. You should just be able to grab one wherever you are. They Mm -hmm. should be Mm -hmm. free (laughs) and everywhere. I will say, like, being a male and, and talking to other guys, getting condoms is always a little terrifying. It's almost the same as, like, going into a store and buying tampons for your girlfriend. Where it's like, you you know what you're there for. No one's judging you, but there's this thing that just happens when you're in the store. Like, you, you have to grab a bag of chips to put over it or like a <laughs> bottle of water to, to bring out with it. It's really weird. And I've talked to a bunch of guys and like, we still go through this in our 30s. It's like you're in a 7-Eleven or a CVS and you go to get condoms and all of a sudden there's like a spotlight on you. You're afraid someone's going to ask or say something to you. Women don't experience this. You know, I think I think I've grown up with such a safety first kind of mentality that as an adult, I don't feel any shame for being sexually responsible. I think it's actually worse, obviously, to not be sexually responsible. Right. But like if the Walgreens cashier laughs at me for having condom, I mean, it, what, what, like it's just it's like an absurd thing to me. I don't know. I think it's you know, it's a thing that still makes people giggle. So probably you're getting a little smirk out of somebody, but listen, they're not having it. Maybe you know. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's, it's worth. The it might be a smirk of jealousy, but like buy the condoms. No one really cares. Mm-mm. They're not going to be like, hey, remember that guy who who bought condoms today? No one cares. <laughs> no one remembers you. I will say I worked at a grocery store when I was like 15 and 16. We cared. That's different. <laughs> we noticed. I hooked up with somebody one time and like literally was like wiping my body off and I looked on their book, like on their nightstand and my book was on the 
nightstand and I, and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I, it was journal of grievances actually. And that's like the old, like one of the only books where there's not a picture of me in the book. But usually I put my picture like on the back cover, like on the, not the author page. And for some reason I didn't put one in on journal of grievances. And I was like, and I, I was like, do I say something? And I was like, I think that's just a little bit too weird. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> I don't know. People are just hooking up or so like the end goal is very different now than it was when it began. Somebody told me was after a few dates, <laughs> he uh, had some difficulties getting it up when we were together. So I never slept with this guy. And he told me later that, and you saw my pictures on, uh, you know, my pictures are accurate. <laughs> um, and he told me, I wasn't, you're not as hot as my ex-girlfriend. Going up, by the way, she's fine, I suppose. I said, you're not as hot as my ex-girlfriend. And he was with her for seven years. He also had, like, kind of the conservative background. But, and told me, um, yeah, so I wasn't sure if it was your body that was causing uh, what was going on with me. So I hired two prostitutes to check. And he apparently couldn't perform with them either but decided to tell me that like, me, he, he tested the hypothesis that it could have been me that was causing his dick not to work. And so the logical next steps was to hire sex workers, putting us both at risk. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I mean, a lot of guys are messaging me with things that, I mean, I'm sure a lot of women have to deal with, you know, dick pics and all stuff like that. But a lot of, I didn't realize how many men like being down in the butt. Like, half of my messages are like, oh, you're in the kink? Cool, please talk to me in the ass. <laughs>